This episode of Hookup Horror Stories is brought to you by the Moan app. Moan, M-O-N, is a first and only live social audio app for the sex-positive community. Drop into a room and hear live conversations about topics like LGBTQ plus issues, kink, and polyamory, with discussions led by sexologists, doctors, and cultural experts, and everyday enthusiasts. Or initiate your own conversations and discuss your favorite topics around sex in a judgment-free, tolerant, and anonymous forum. You can also join hashtag Hogaporo Stories Rooms and live tapings of this very show, where we discuss various subjects, play games, and tell stories with other moaners. Download the Moan app, that's M-O-N, on the App Store and Google Play now. See you there. I've compiled a couple ways for you to get information, not just from this podcast, but like if you there's basically a organization in virtually every state um so in order to get a directory you can call the national human trafficking hotline at 1-888-373-7888 that's 1-888-373-7888 to get a directory of, of any organizations in your hometown in your state um you can also text be free or help to 233-733. Be free or help to 233-733. Finally, you can also email help at humantraffickinghotline.org for a list of information as well for your home state. But the slide in that pussy is a homicide. Welcome to Hookup Horror Stories, the podcast where we spill the tea on sex and dating. I'm your resident sexual deviant, Demi Wild. And today I don't have a special guest deviant. I'm doing a solo episode. And um, this is an episode that I've wanted to do for a while. And it's about a topic that I find very fascinating and also a little disturbing. So um, be prepared. This is going to be a little bit more of a more serious episode. Um, I was originally going to have a guest on this, but they didn't make their appointment. (laughs) So unfortunately, it's just going to be me today. Um, but I have done a lot of research into this, this into this topic, and the topic is sex trafficking. Um, it's a it's I've been fascinated by this. I mean, I think we all kind of heard about. I mean, <laughs> back in the day when we heard about PizzaGate, and like that was kind of like our first introduction as to like what human trafficking is. But it was a conspiracy theory <laughs> based on conservative crazy ethos about some hillary pizza it's it's insane if you want to learn about it learn about it i guess but it is a conspiracy theory it has zero basis in reality um but human trafficking and sex trafficking is a real thing so i wanted to do an episode specifically about this and i i i think 
I've started on this path doing a, a TikTok video recently about um, Black China and how she was accused of being sex of being a sex trafficker by Ava Louise, who is this this Instagram model or whatever this quote unquote influencer. She's an insane person. She just wants attention. Um, but if you would like to learn about that, I've done several TikToks about human trafficking, sex trafficking, as well as that debunking video on the Black China um, uh, thing. So please check that out on my TikTok if you're interested as well. Um, before I get started, I have a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Um, please be sure to give us a, a comment or a rating on Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate it, um, especially on this episode, because this episode was a big one for me and I've done a lot of research onto it and it would really help me out a lot. And the way Apple podcast works is the more comments and ratings that you have on the show, the more visible it is on the search. So that's how it works. That's help this show get seen by more people. Um, please do that. Give us a rating as well. I do read these things too. So if you want to leave me a little nice comment, I'd really appreciate that too. Second, um, if you're on Good Pods, uh, we are number six on indie sexuality charts. Yay! Um, so thank you, Good Pods, for supporting the show. And um, thank you guys on Good Pods for listening. And uh, please give us a rating as well on there and help us get to number one. I would love that. Um, finally, I have an announcement. December 2nd at 4.30 p.m. I am actually the day that this episode airs. I'm doing a, a live hook up horror stories on the moan app please join me i would love to have you here this will be an episode that will be uh launched the following week um so you'll, if you don't make to the live you can listen to it then the live episodes are going to be a different kind of a different format there we're doing a little bit more of like a we do news stories we're doing sex and dating advice and also we're doing like live red flags game so if you would like to join i would love to have you there um yeah just please join it. it it's a lot of fun the last one that we did was a lot of fun um it was it, i loved seeing everybody there i loved um people coming up to the stage and playing red flags and people were in the comments and and talking about all the topics that we, i had planned for us so it was a really a lot of fun i would love to have you guys here um please join us so um without further ado i guess we could just jump into the topic this week So I think a lot of people's idea of what sex trafficking is, is a little bit kind of like the movie Zola. If you haven't seen it, it's a true story of Isaiah Zola King. She is a waitress and an exotic dancer, and she meets this girl named Stephanie at work. And she tweeted this story. It's, it's a true story, but she tweeted this story on October 27th, 2015, in like a bunch of different like tweets. You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch here fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. Um, it was an epic story, but it eventually the the rights to those tweets got bought, and there was a lot of like pushback onto like how they, they wanted to make a movie about this, basically. But, but like, there's a lot of pushback on how do we turn tweets into a movie? A very interesting story. Um, but a lot of people's idea of what sex trafficking is 
is kind of like that movie where so there's Zola. She's Taylor Page, um, played by Taylor Page. Um, does an amazing job with the role, first of all. But she meets this girl named Stephanie at work. And um, Stephanie convinced Zola to come with her to, st- to strip in Tampa, Florida. Last month, I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five Gs a night. My roommate just told me that he going out there tomorrow and he asked me if I had any friends that want to make some money and you the first bitch I thought of. Damn, bitch. We just met yesterday and you already trying to take whole trips together? When we leave in. Be ready by two. And um, on the way uh, to, to pick up Zola, <laughs> Zola meets X and Derek. I got you something. Ah. Hey, 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 look inside. What's this for? Respect. So I can go home now? Nah. (laughs) I'm gonna need you to do what you did last night. And they make their way down to Tampa, Florida, and um, they go to this kind of seedy strip club and everything's not quite as it seems they're not making like stephanie promised a lot of like money and they're not making a lot of money at this club so um come to find out that uh x is actually um stephanie's pimp and they had secretly put up photos of zola uh, on Backpage, r.i.p Backpage. this is messy you are messy your brain is broke um, but they put up these photos of, of Zola without her knowledge, um, in order to like, kind of like trick her into like prostituting herself, which she like, doesn't do. She just dances. How would you no more? I didn't do nothing wrong. Anyways, shenanigans ensue. It's a great film. If you guys haven't seen it, please watch it. It's really good. Um, but a lot of people think that like, this is how people get human traffic like they're kind of like tricked into it or they're kidnapped into it or sometimes that happens but the real issue is actually like a lot darker and um i have a story for you guys here so this is a story about tanya this is taken from the ice website um it's a true story um so this is the story of tanya so Tanya spent night after night in different hotel rooms with different men at all the command of someone she once trusted. She was held against her will, beaten and made to feel like she had no other option at a time, all by the mean that she thought that all by the man that she thought that she loved. She felt she deserved it. Tanya felt that she couldn't escape. Afraid and confused, she thought the emotional and physical abuse that she endured was her own doing. She thought maybe she was just stuck in a bad place for her entire life. Tanya is a pseudonym was a victim of human trafficking. When Tanya was 13, she met Eddie, another pseudonym, at the apartment she was living in with her mother in Dallas, Texas. His estranged wife was a property manager. Tanya was classmates with Eddie's stepdaughter, so the two would often see each other at the apartment complex and in the grocery store. It was there that the first two exchanged numbers, but they didn't see each other again until she was 15. So mind you, she was 13 when they met. She's 15 now. 
Things began to change one night when Tanya ran into Eddie at a bar. Why is she 15 years old at a bar, first of all? But um, it says Middle America. Who knows? The two reconnected and flirting picked up where it left off. And Tanya went home with Eddie that night. Tanya was a runaway at the time. There we go. That's why. And uh, so she eventually moved in with Eddie and the two began a relationship. It was a normal arrangement at first. I want to know how old Eddie was, first of all. It was a normal arrangement at first. Tanya would cook, clean, and look after Eddie's kids from time to time. However, it was the t- it was when the two were at a party filled with alcohol and drugs that the relationship took a turn. At first, it was just supposed to be like, oh, this is what we were doing to make money because he wasn't making enough money to pay for his child support and everything. And... Um, after he started to like make me do it every night and stuff, I started to realize, but in my head, I just, I drink, I do whatever drugs he had just to like clear my mind so I wouldn't think about it. Because at the time I felt like he was perfect to me. You know, he was there and he'd tell me like, hey, you know, your mom doesn't love you. No one loves you because they're not looking for you and they don't care where you sleep and like you live with me and I take care of you what are you going to do without me because you can't get an apartment on your own you can't get a hotel it was basically like I needed him and like I said I felt that I loved him Eddie approached her and told her I want you to have sex with this guy for money Tanya was very uncomfortable and kept saying no that she didn't want to do it but he kept telling her If you love me, you'll do this. It's just one thing. Just try it. After nearly 30 more minutes of constant pressure, Tanya agreed to have sex with the man. What she thought was a one-night thing became an everyday routine for the next few weeks. Tanya would go out with Eddie while he advertised her to potential suitors. Tanya thought that she loved him. She felt like she could deal with the physical toll of the trafficking took on her body. It turned out that the hardest part to deal with was the emotional and psychological effects. Physically, I didn't really feel anything, but emotionally, it took a toll on me. Like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was a person. I felt really bad. Um, There was nights I couldn't sleep. There's times I thought about killing myself. I just thought about, like, the type of person I was, what people would think about me if they knew what I was doing, what my mom would say, just stuff like that. Help eventually came for Tanya in the form of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's ICE, Homeland Security Investigations, and Special Agent Keith Owens. The Grand Prairie, Texas Police Department had received a tip about Eddie's crimes and passed the case on to HSI Dallas. Owens and his team took over, moved in, and arrested Eddie. My initial feeling after it was over was sort of a relief, but it was very painful. I felt a lot of pain. I didn't know who to trust, and I was just waiting for him to come back. I was thinking in my head like he's gonna come back you know nothing's gonna happen and then after like we got to the place and they started to interview me it's like I felt like I just had to let it all out like you just have to vent to someone and just tell them everything 
Eddie pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 12 years in prison on May 29th, 2015, during the sentencing hearing. Tanya had to testify, having to hear and see the man that she, who trafficked her was difficult, especially not knowing what the outcome would be and whether or not he would be convicted. Tanya feels her life is in a better place now. She doesn't think or talk about what she's been through, and she doesn't want people to know what, what was once part of her life. Her focus is on moving forward, and she wants to finish getting her GED and going to community college and taking on journalism. I feel like people think that they deserve it because you fall in love with someone and they make you feel that way. They make you feel less of a woman, less of a person, less of a, just less of everything when you've done so much that you know is ungodly and you keep hearing so, those words repeated in your head, you're not nothing, no one will love you like I love you. You start to believe it and you start to become that person and they take control over you. So you feel like you deserve it because they tell you. And I know for me, it felt I felt like that because like I said, I wasn't around my mom, I wasn't around my family, and I didn't grow up in a home where this would be something that's acceptable. When I first went home, you know, I heard people talking under their breath saying prostitute and calling me dirty and you know, that just, it makes it all so real that it was your fault. You know, my family didn't see it as, oh, she's a victim. People see it like that. And so you really start to believe it, that it was your fault. Eventually, Tanya knows that she will have to talk about her experience again. If she has kids one day, she wants to be able to tell them what their mother went through. She wants them to know what to look out for and how to avoid going through the things that she did. Until then, she passes along her words of encouragement to anyone who maybe experiences when she, what she did, and she wants any victims out there to know that they are not alone. She says, quote, you are worth something. You are very important to someone. No matter what they say to you, it's not true. You are worth something. So what is human trafficking? U.S. law defines human trafficking as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person to commercial sex acts or labor against their will. There's an action means purpose model that can be helpful in understanding the federal law. Human trafficking occurs when a perpetrator takes an action such as induces, recruits, harbors, transports, or provides, and then like provides services or provides help to a person, and then employs the means, force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of compelling the victim to provide commercial sex acts or labor services. So there's a two-parter. It could be either sex trafficking or labor trafficking. That's m the main two types of trafficking that there is. At minimum, one element from each column must be present to establish a potential situation of human trafficking. So if we look at the situation with Tanya, so she was a runaway. She was a person who needed help. Uh, Eddie was the guy who provided help to her at a time when she needed it. He, she thought that she could trust him. Um, he kind of like over time brought this into her life and then kind of perpetuated it more. So he, and then he used a means, force, fraud, or coercion. He used coercion in order to um, get her into doing something that she didn't necessarily want to do. And then for the purpose of compelling the victim to provide commercial sex acts. So there is the action he provided help to her 
with the means and employed a means of coercion in order to get her to do the sex trafficking itself. So you can kind of see from that example and some of the other examples that I've placed in this in the video and in the audio for this episode that you can see how there's kind of like this steady incline of like how things usually happen. And this is the most common way that people are sex trafficked. Kidnapping and that type of stuff does happen, but it's extremely rare according to Polaris Project. And this is where I've gotten actually most of this information is from Polaris Project. Shout out Polaris Project. Thank you so much for um, putting this information on your website. Like many of you, I didn't know what human trafficking was. I also thought pimps only existed in rap videos. But I remember the exact moment I found out they were real. A police officer handed me the book named Pimpology, The 48 Laws of the Game. I started to read and quickly realized that what had been happening to me for the past year had a name. I was human trafficked. My name is Marky Dell, and I'm a human trafficking survivor. I want you all to think of a teenager you know, who's shy, awkward, insecure, has a hard time making friends. That was me. And then a cool girl befriended me. She was everything I wanted to be. Popular, had the looks. She wanted to be my friend. She invited me to her birthday party. I happily accepted. She picked me up from my home in Hamilton, Ontario, and she drove me back up to her place in Toronto. We had a fun night celebrating her birthday. The next morning, I was under the intention that she was driving me back to my dad's home in Hamilton. We ended up in an unfamiliar parking lot, and I could see the Toronto airport. She parked the car and said, you owe me $600 for the rental car, for the gas, for the club entry, and the drinks last night. I was confused. I knew I did not owe her any money. And where had my friend gone? She reaches in the back seat, tosses me a bag. It had a bikini and heels in it and said, go dance. We were at a strip club. She told me there were two men inside waiting for me to ensure I made her that money and to make sure I did not tell a soul. She then threatened to kill my family. My heart sank. I was so scared. So I did, and I went inside the, the strip club, and I danced that day, and I made her that money. I danced for men, horrified and humiliated. She picked me up. I handed her the money, and I thought this nightmare was over. But it was just starting. Myths about sex trafficking. Thank you, Polaris Project, for putting together this list of myths and realities when it comes to sex trafficking. I'm going to tell you all about them right now. Myth number one, 
only women and girls can be victims of and survivors of sex trafficking. Uh, no. The truth is men and boys are also victims by sex, tra sex traffickers, especially LGBTQ boys and young men. They're particularly seen vulnerable to trafficking as well as transgender and non-binary individuals. Myth number two, all commercial sex is human trafficking. False. Not all commercial sex is human trafficking. Some people engage in commercial sex for multiple for a multitude of reasons, and some simply just enjoy the work. That's why legalizing sex work is important. It helps weed out the situations that are harmful and creates a legal framework for sex workers to engage in their line of work in a safe and secure environment. Myth number three, traffickers target victims they don't know. False. Many survivors have been trafficked by romantic partners, including spouses and by family members, including parents. Myth number four, only undocumented foreign nationals get trafficked in the United States. False. Citizens of the U.S. also get trafficked. Also, there are thousands of cases of, of trafficking involving foreign national survivors who are legally living and are working in the U.S. This includes survivors of both sex and labor, tra and labor trafficking. Myth number six, human trafficking only happens in illegal or underground industries. False. Human trafficking cases have been reported and prosecuted in industries such as restaurants, cleaning services, construction factories, and more. Myth. Uh, human trafficking involves moving, traveling, or transporting a person across state or national borders. False. Trafficking doesn't necessarily mean moving across borders. Uh, human trafficking is often confused with human smuggling which involves illegal border crossings. In fact, the crime of human trafficking does not require any movement whatsoever. Survivors can be recruited and trafficked in their own hometowns, even their own homes. Myth. If a trafficked person cons consented to be in their initial situation, it, then it cannot be human trafficking or against their will because if they, quote, knew better. False. Initial consent to commercial sex or labor setting prior to acts of force, fraud, or coercion, or if the victim is a minor, is not relevant to the crime, nor is payment. Myth. People being trafficked are physically unable to leave their situations, are locked or held in against their will. Mm, that's sometimes the case, but more often, however, people in trafficking situations stay out for reasons that are more complicated. Um, some lack the basic necessities to physically get out, such as transportation or a safe place to live. Some people are just afraid um, for their safety. Some people have also been effectively manipulated so they do not identify at that point as to being under the control of another person. So think of brainwashing, like people are kind of like over time, kind of like groomed into this, you know, I'd be careful with the word grooming, though, because I think a lot of like Republican people use that word as kind of like a as like a a, a point of speech for like LGBTQ people, saying that LGBTQ people are groomers, which is gross to say. First of all, that's, so it, that's completely false. It's just a fucking fear tactic. So. Um, Manipulated is the word that I would I, I would use here. Um, labor trafficking myth: labor trafficking is only or primarily a problem in developing countries. False. Labor trafficking occurs in the U.S. and other developed countries, but is reported at lower rates than sex trafficking. Myth: people in active sex trafficking situations always want help. False. 
Every trafficking situation is unique and self-identification of, of as a trafficking victim or survivor happens along a continuum. Fear, isolation, guilt, shame, and misplaced loyalty and expert manipulation are among the many factors that keep a person from seeking help or identifying as a victim, even if they are in fact being trafficked. Those are some myths and some realities of sex trafficking. Thank you to Polaris Project for putting those together. This episode of Hook Up Horror Stories is brought to you by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect about things they are most passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own, invite friends, and find community about pretty much anything, all in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now and join the official Hook Up Horror Stories chat. Check the link in our bio to find out more. Thanks. Hookup Horror Stories is brought to you today by Good Pods, the world's fastest growing podcast social networking app. What's the best way to discover a new podcast? Through your friends, of course. With Good Pods, you can do exactly that. Join specific groups and find out what other people are listening to right now. Everything from true crime to comedy, self-help and spirituality, and yes, even this show. Download Good Pods today and start sharing your faves with other podcast addicts everywhere. See you there. I was born and raised in a small town in Southern Oregon, and I was a good kid in school. I grew up in a normal middle-class family. Um, I got great grades. I was really active in sports, and I even graduated a year early. I was accepted into Oregon State University, and I had my dorm room already assigned, and I was really excited to move up to Corvallis. But that summer, I got pregnant by my boyfriend, and I had to make a real tough decision whether I was going to keep my baby and unenroll from university or get an abortion and keep it all a secret. And that was a really tough summer for me. After I had the baby, I had some friends that had gone up to U of O to go to college, and they had an extra room in one of their apartments. It was at that time that I met a boy or a guy who pretended um, to take interest in me. I really thought he liked me and we got along really well. He was really funny and charming and he had a nice car and he, he always picked up the tab, he had nice clothes. He told me he was a record producer, that he had a band um, up in Portland, and that's why he frequently went out of town. There's a saying that says, when you take a child by the hand, you take the mother by the heart. And I really think that's what happened for me, because I had this new little girl and this man who showed this desperate attention towards her, like he wanted to really help make this family that I really wanted for my daughter. And he invited me to move in with him after about six months of dating, and I was really excited. And I brought him down to Southern Oregon to meet my family and everything seemed fine until we arrived in Las Vegas. He said we were moving there because that was the entertainment capital of the world and being a record producer and having um, a band that that's where they were going to get the most gigs and the most jobs and that's where his job was leading him. So I desperately uh, wanted to go with him, to be with him and, and to start this family that, that he promised me. He pulled up to an escort service and he said, this is how it works in Vegas. I've spent a lot of money to get you here. I put first and last on an apartment. I filled your fridge up with food and you're gonna need to get, earn that money back. And I felt, I felt trapped. I felt like, um, how am I gonna get out of this? And 
you didn't know if you were going to live or die. You didn't know what he was going to do or what he was capable of. And so it's, it was really scary. I can remember just running through the casino thinking, like, these people don't even have a clue what's going on. They're just, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, Las Vegas, yay! And they're doing all this stuff, and I'm, I'm running for my life. I'm running from a man that has forced me into doing things that I didn't want to do. When you have a, a trafficker that's waiting at home with your child and says, if you don't bring home $1,500, you're going to find your daughter out on the corner, I think I was probably more frightened to go home than I was to be in the room. Because if you got robbed, it was your fault for being stupid. Um, if you got raped, it was your fault for not watching your back. Anything that happened to you was typically your fault, and you incurred more punishment um, for allowing those things to happen to you. So it made you always walk in fear of your trafficker. So there's just a couple more things I want to talk about here when it comes to sex trafficking, and one of them would be misinformation. Um, there's definitely been a lot of rumors going around of like celebrity schemes and like, you know, people like getting involved in like these child sex trafficking schemes. And um, mostly it has to do with Jeff Epstein and, and that whole story. But um, there was uh, back in 2020 in particular, there was a hashtag that was circulating called save the children or save our children. And I want to talk about a little bit about that in particular, because um, that was a really harmful thing because it, yes, um, people wanted to be, um, more active in their approach to, you know, saving children and children being trafficked. And that's wonderful. And that that's great. Um, but there, unfortunately it was hijacked by QAnon supporters. So in particular, those two hashtags were like just flooded with misinformation it led to a lot of like you know false reportings it led to a lot of like you know in-person events even like people were, were joining up in real life to you know fight combat child sex trafficking but in reality they were just kind of like QAnon get-togethers <laughs> it was you know I already talked a little bit about about Pizzagate as well um but yeah, like QAnon was kind of like at, at the front of all this bad information that was out there on what sex trafficking was. And 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 it led to a lot of like really crazy stuff. You know, like people were saying like Oprah was arrested for child sex trafficking, um, Wayfair, you know, the furniture store online furniture store had a lot of like coded listings. We covered this on a cosmic journey on on one day for a news for a news segment <laughs> like wayfair <laughs> they had coded listings for like you know certain codes or like these body size furniture cabinets were actually children <laughs> like <laughs> it just led to a lot of like wild conspiracy theories of like you know child sex trafficking and um cannibalism and sacrifice and even satan himself like it, it just led to a lot of like crazy stuff so I want to talk a little bit about how misinformation spreads and misinformation. Um, it, I think the reason why misinformation is so 
um, why it's so accessible because it contains intricate granules of truth to it, such as the case of Jeff Epstein. You know, obviously this man was a monster and, you know, his partner in crime, Ghislaine Maxwell, who was like kind of like pulling kids and teens in for him, um, you know, because that part was actually proven Oprah must be a child sex trafficker too, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's because of this kind of correlation of like reality and conspiracy that makes these, these things more believable. So uh, misinformation is harmful, first of all, because we're not getting information from uh, authentic sources, such as places that actually specialize in child trafficking or sex trafficking um all of the hashtags and the online chatter just creates confusion for everybody so i've compiled a couple ways for you to get information not just from this podcast but like if you there's basically a organization in virtually every state um so in order to get a directory you can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. That's 1-888-373-7888. To get a directory of, of any organizations in your hometown, in your state, um, you can also text "Be Free" or HELP to 233-733. Be Free or HELP to 233-733. Finally, you can also email help at humantraffickinghotline.org for a list of information as well for your home state. I am Dr. Nisi Hamilton, and I am a survivor of human trafficking. When I was 15, I had aged out of foster care, and I was homeless. And I remember running into a homegirl who told me, hey, you know, I have a solution for your problem. Um, I work as a waitress at a strip club. You can use my ID to work at another strip club while I work at this strip club. And all you're doing is waitressing. You make money. My boyfriend will keep your baby. And hey, you know, you'll be good. As the boyfriend's keeping my baby, he goes, you can't get your kid back unless you make me $200 a day. He's going to the strip club bragging about how much money he's making off of me. And there's another pimp that's sitting in the club. He sends a message to the girls that he's already pimping out to me that I can make $200 a day faster if I'm no longer a waitress, but a stripper. Because he wants to see what am I willing to give up or what am I willing to sacrifice. That was barrier testing. Let me test your limits. The betrayal comes in. Baby, you ain't been working. It's hard for me to get your hair and your nails done like I used to. I need you to bring in some money. So we're talking about from 15 to 19, I had already been trafficked and sleeping with every bit of about 1,500 men at this point. I made a decision to enlist into the Navy without my pimp knowing about it. And when he found out, I still got beat. And I remember begging the officer, please don't arrest me, please don't arrest me. I said, I'm leaving to the Navy. This is the only chance, this is the only chance I got to get away. 
I need you to help me. And he looked at me and he said, I believe you. But had I been arrested that night, I wouldn't have survived human trafficking. Here's some facts and statistics about sex trafficking. Back in 2020, 10,583 situations of human trafficking were reported to the U.S. National Human Trafficking Hotline. And of those cases, 16,658 were individual victims of sex trafficking. So how does any of this even begin? Um, People in sex trafficking situations almost always know or even love the person that they are being trafficked by. Um, Traffickers target specifically vulnerable people who they have needs that traffickers can fill. Um, Sometimes they offer material support, you know, a living situation, clothing, uh, a chance to get rich quick. Other times they offer just like love, emotional connection, um, or a sense of belonging. Kidnapping does happen, as we've heard from one of our examples earlier, um, but uh, it, uh, it it is quite rare for this to actually happen. Um, most of the time, because number one, the internet is a very um, accessible tool. It's very difficult for people to get away with that type of thing. So um, again, it does happen, um, but it, it is quite rare. Um, who are the traffickers? Um, well, traffickers come from all genders, races, ethnicities, walks of life. They could be basically anyone. Um, but in specifically sex trafficking situations, they can be intimate partners, spouses, family members, friends, or even acquaintances. And labor trafficking, it could be a boss, an acquaintance, or a friend. You know, it could be pretty much anybody. Who are victims of sex trafficking? They could be pretty much anyone as well. Um, but specifically vulnerable vulnerable people, such as people um, below the poverty line, unstable housing, people with trauma, addictions, um, people of color, immigrants, or even LGBTQ plus people. Those are generally people who are more vulnerable, who have needs that traffickers can fill. Um, why don't they just leave, (laughs) you know? Well, a lot of the times people don't actually know. Um, They don't see themselves as victims. They basically have been kind of like manipulated into thinking that they're making their own choices by the people that they're being trafficked by. And um, they could even be dependent on the traffickers as well for, you know, whatever, shelter, the food, anything. Um, Also, they could be being made threats against by the traffickers. So like they could just be scared to leave. Um, Another reason why it's very difficult for people to leave sex trafficking situations is because they are often arrested for prostitution during the course of their trafficking. Um, Felonies make it very difficult to get jobs. And so when you are arrested for a thing and you are finally set set free from your trafficking situation, um, what do you do if you have, you know, X amount of prostitution felonies? You know, it's it's very difficult to come back from that type of thing. And again, I've mentioned this before, sex work needs to be legalized in order to kind of like root out the people who 
are um, being trafficked, first of all. Also, it it gives a framework for people who want to actually engage in the work, enjoy the work, to do so safely and to do so, you know, legally. Um, how do people get out of it? Every story is different, but everyone has resilience. Everyone has a resilient story. Survivors have to come to the understanding that they are in a traffic situation and they have to want out and they have to fight. They have to fight to get out as well. Um, sometimes they get help from organizations or, um, service providers. Sometimes that happens, but, um, the, the myth of rescuing people that are in sex trafficking situations is quite harmful. So it, it could also be a little bit dangerous. So I would definitely advise against that. If you think someone, you know, is being trafficked, um, don't try to think that you can rescue them, but help them by getting them information. Information is vital. Survivors mostly rescue themselves. They they have to want to get out. They have to fight to get out, and then they'll they'll usually find their way out. Um, but how does all of this end? Unfortunately, it doesn't. It doesn't end unless we. Um, it's because it's a result of other inequities in our society and our economic system that leave people vulnerable. Capitalism does a number on society. And one of the reasons is, or one of the results is poverty. And for example, um, justice is for survivors is vital. You know, prosecuting traffickers is often really important as well, but it doesn't end the cycle. The cycle is, it only ends by increasing the um, support for vulnerable people, first of all, but also if we change the conditions. So basically what we need to do is come together and vote and get people in who may get people into office who actually care about these types of things, who know about these types of things, who are being informed properly. And in order to change the conditions such as homelessness, uh, family violence, poverty, and of course, discrimination, that's a huge one as well. I have a lot of people in my life that have been homeless and a lot of times those people are often led through one reason or another into these types of situations and um, changing how we structure society and how we structure family units, how we support each other leaves people less vulnerable. So I think that's how we end it. Before I let you guys go today, I have one last little segment, and that's some um, sex trafficking red flags. <laughs> These aren't funny, I don't think, um, but I can't leave you without doing a red flags for this for this um, topic here. So, um, granted, these might not all be foolproof. If you think you know somebody who um, might be a victim of sex trafficking, don't just be like, hey, I got this information from this podcast. Um, you must be <laughs> you must be a victim. Don't do that. Um, but these can be clues into how um, in, into someone, you know, who might be a victim. Um, OK, so sex trafficking red flags. They want to stop participating in selling or trading of sex, but feel scared or unable to leave. 
Um, they disclose that they are reluctant to engage in selling sex, but that someone pressured them into it. They live where they work or are transported by guards between home and the workplace. That's a pretty scary one to think that someone that you know could be being transported to a place by two unknown dudes who might have guns. That's that's pretty scary. Um, they are children who live with or supported by or dependent on a family member with a substance abuse problem or who is abusive in other ways. I mean, again, I, I talk a lot about abuse um, on in in families and the the type of problems that it can give to a developing person. But um, yeah, if they're dependent on someone who has a substance abuse problem, it's not always the case. Sometimes people just have substance abuse problems. But again, that could be a clue into thinking that something else is going on. They have a pimp or a manager in the sex trade. Um, they work in an industry where it may be common to be pressured into performing sex acts for money, such as a strip club, illicit cantina, go-go bar, illicit massage business, so on and so forth. Um, they have an older or simply controlling parent, guardian, or romantic partner. And they, they will not allow you to meet or speak with the person alone or monitors their movements, uh, spending, and or communication. So if they have a caretaker, you know, type of relationship with whoever it is, um, this person kind of just monitors everything about their life and they don't really have any privacy. Um, yeah, that's all the red flags I have. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I know it was a lot of information. Um, but thank you to the Polaris Project for giving me, um, giving access to us on your website. I'm going to put all the show notes to this episode, of course, on my blog, DemetriWild.com. Please check out Polaris Project. Uh, consider donating to them as well. They're really great. Um, I've done a lot of research on, the, on them and I follow them on LinkedIn. Um, they're a really great organization. Learn more about them. Um, and then of course, for all the sources I, I put in today's episode, uh, they will be in the show notes as well as any clips that I've used. And, um, yeah, just be sure to, uh, leave me a rating on Apple podcasts. I would love that. And, um, one last thing again, I'm going to put this number up. Um, you can find a directory for sex trafficking hotline at the national human trafficking hotline. That number is one 373-7888. You can also text be free or help to 233-733. And you can also email help at human trafficking hotline.org. Stay deviant. <laughs>